Welcome to the C12 Podcast. C12 is a college and young adult ministry where 20-somethings at 12 Stone Church gather on Thursday nights. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. How are we feeling tonight? You guys doing good? Hey, man, it is uh, great. It is uh, summer, uh, officially summer. Uh, we are uh, doing something actually tomorrow night. Uh, we talked about the last couple of weeks. We are doing a uh, food truck Friday night in downtown Swanee uh, from six to nine. So, hey, let's say you're new here or you're uh, kind of semi-new looking for a place like meet people. This is the place to do it. Hey, we do things like this. That way you can be a part of community. Maybe you've been around forever. Hey, this is going to be super fun. So we're going to have a bunch of games and things outside. We are going to, uh, uh, there's going to be food trucks there. We're uh, going to also provide, little secret, we are going to buy all of you guys frozen yogurt at the end of the night, uh, and we're just going to kind of hang out. So uh, we know it's uh, a billion degrees outside, and uh, you know what helps is frozen yogurt. So uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We want you guys to be uh, out there for that. But we are uh, jumping into our series for this summer called C12 Summer, which is kind of going over the theme of biblical knowledge. And uh, tonight, like Justin said, we are going after the topic and the theme of how do I uh, experience God and and, and tonight is a little bit more uh, stripped back. So this is kind of what I call a, a, a journal sermon. <laughs> it's a sermon that is just kind of more uh, raw, uh, uh, organic, uh, pretty unpolished, pretty candid. Uh, tonight's teaching a little bit more stripped back. Uh, you okay with that? Yeah, you guys seem very on board with that. Awesome. Uh, what are you supposed to say? No, like I'm going to do it anyway. So uh, uh, this, is, uh, this is a sermon that I, I call journal sermons where I just begin to uh, kind of teach and preach this and sit in it. Obviously, I do it for every sermon that I do, uh, but tonight's a little different. It's a little more personal. Uh, these are things that, these are five things of like, how do I actually experience the God? These are five things that uh, I have to repeat and repeat and repeat and practice and practice and practice. And I put it uh, into my life over and over again. Uh, and I'm not a sage by any means. I'm still a work uh, in progress when it comes to this, like, just like everyone else. But I think these five things have brought a lot of freedom. Uh, it's brought a lot of breakthrough uh, when it comes to experiencing God, uh, just as a, not only as a person, but also uh, as a pastor. And so I've had a lot of trial runs when it comes to this stuff. And uh, there's lots of methods that you use. Or how do I actually experience God? These are five things that I've done privately that I think would just be helpful. And I pray uh, and hope that maybe one, if not all of them, uh, could bring breakthrough in how you experience God and, and how you tangibly seek after God's presence. But I just kind of want to revisit uh, the, the thought of what a personal relationship with Jesus looks like. Uh, all of us desire a personal relationship with Jesus. All of us want a personal relationship with Jesus. And the question's kind of twofold. It's like, how do I experience God, which is more the perception side of it. So how do I experience God for who he is, maybe his character, his nature? And then there's the other half of the question, which is how do I experience God in terms of more tangibly? So how do I experience God more in the form of uh, how do I view him? <laughs> who is God to me? And then you also ask the question, how do I experience God more tangibly? Like, how do I experience God's presence? How do I actually experience God and who he is? If I were to take a, uh, a plug or a plug to a sound system and put it up to your soul, what song would come out? I thank God someone's already got, someone's already got a song right now. <laughs> If we were to take a plug to a sound system and put it up to your soul, what song would come out? It's kind of a fun question, but maybe, maybe it's this song right here. Silence. <laughs> maybe your soul is utterly quiet. Uh, we, can, we can pass this segment. Uh, maybe, maybe your uh, song choice is nothing. 
Maybe it's utterly quiet. Uh, maybe it's this song, uh, Robbery from Juice World. Uh, maybe that's your song. Maybe it's went through a heartbreak and, and now it's some really sad song. Maybe uh, uh, it's, it's ABC. Uh, it's that song, uh, ABC. You weren't supposed to fill in the rest of the song. We're at church, okay, relax. Uh, Maybe it's uh, some more fun songs. Maybe it's uh, some more upbeat ones. Maybe it's songs that make you uh, feel happy. Uh, maybe it's songs like, like House Party by Sam Hunt. Maybe it's, it's songs like that, country song. Who in here loves country? Like country is your genre. You know, that's why you know. Country's like, yeehaw, yeah. <laughs> How many it's like rap? Rap's your, rap's your genre. Okay, I wanna, I wanna see the room. Screamo. What, what, any Screamo fans in here? <laughs> I, uh, I actually mentored a student in South Dakota where I came from. He went to sleep listening to Screamo. That was his thing. I was like, you, that's how serial killers get born. That's, uh, that's what serial killers do. Uh, I don't trust you uh, in your sleep listening to Screamo. He's like, it's very peaceful. I'm like, I, I feel like someone's behind me. Um, but if we were to plug a sound system to your soul, what song would come out? Like, what, what, what is the condition of your soul? Is it damaged? Is it lost? Is it confused? Is it sad? Is it happy? Like how, how content is your soul right now? How connected is your soul to God? Maybe the better question is, do you think your song would be differently if your soul was closer to Jesus? Do you think your song would be different if your soul was closer to Jesus? What is your relationship with Jesus like right now? Is it dull, boring, mundane? stagnant, disengaged, lifeless, maybe no connection. Maybe it's active. Maybe it's lively. It's frequent, fulfilling, engaging. How would you describe your relationship with God? If you could sum it up in one word, how would you describe your relationship with God? I want you to take a moment and just reflect on that for a second. I'm going to pray over tonight. I want you to think on what is the one word I would take to describe my relationship with God. I'm going to pray before we jump into tonight's teaching. So God, we just ask that you would come in this room. God, we'd ask that you, uh, God, this is your word, your teaching. God, I pray that it brings breakthrough. God, I pray it brings revelation for people. God, I pray it brings uh, a breakthrough in people's uh, lives and God, how they experience you. And so God, we're just asking for more. God, we're asking for more of you. God, we want more of who you are. And so God, we just pray that you would come uh, God, and have your way. And we pray this uh, in your name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Let's jump in. How do I experience God? There's five things I think that can be very helpful. Number one, uh, get over yourself. <laughs> uh, very comforting, right? You're like, wow, awesome. Uh, great start to tonight. Uh, get over yourself. That's the first thing. In order to experience God, we have to get over ourselves. Like, it, it's not about us. And actually, to, in order to obtain his tangible presence and receive what he has to offer, we have to get over ourselves and see past ourselves so we can get a better picture of him. This is the passage in, in Luke 18. This is Jesus talking to and giving a parable of both the tax collector uh, and, and the Pharisee. And the Pharisees were known as the religious teachers. They're, they're the ones that are kind of the spiritual know-it-alls. Like, yeah, 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 I, I know that stuff. They're like maybe the modern day, they go to every small group, every church, every event. Like they're the ones that like know everything all the time. And Jesus uses this parable. It said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Maybe like you, you're like, well, I don't pray like that. I don't literally pray in my room and be like, God, I'm so thankful I'm not like that person. Maybe you don't literally do that in your room. Maybe there's another form or another version of self-righteousness. See, in that day and age, that was kind of their version of self-righteousness to be better than somebody else. As a Pharisee, I wanna, be, I wanna make sure that I'm better than the rest of the sinners that are out there in culture. I wanna make sure that I'm better than those tax collectors and those adulterers and those robbers and those murderers. They were confident of their own self-righteousness. Self-righteousness still exists as just a different form. And maybe today, this is what it looks like. It's thinking that I don't need to pray because I can do it myself. It's thinking that I don't need certain sermons because I've heard that before. It's thinking that I don't need to gather as a church because it doesn't matter. Maybe it's being quick to justify your behavior, not admitting that you're wrong. Maybe it's thinking that you don't need a biblical community because it's not that important. And y'all, the reason why we do groups, <laughs> this isn't some shameless plug. The reason why we do groups is because we wanna foster and help people grow and understand what it means to be a part of a biblical community. It's been that way since all the way from Acts 2. You see them meet in homes. They're, they're gathered in smaller groups. We might call it different forms and give it different language, but what is it always? It's always a group. It's a group of people who gather together to grow in their faith. And this is why we do groups. This is not just a side thing. It's not a side church hustle. It's not just some added bonus. If you do this more, you get to go to heaven faster or you get some more gold in heaven. This is just something that as you get to be a part of a group, there's people that can challenge you, people that can exhort you and people that can call you to more. Maybe for you, a version of self-righteousness is thinking that you don't need to make an impact because you don't have time for it. It's claiming to be about the cause of Christ until the conviction of scripture comes. Maybe it's making your political agendas and forcing them to become biblical ones and saying that you're living out convictions when it's not God's convictions, it's just your opinions. Maybe it's being all for the church until someone hurts you and then you justify your hurt as a means to cause division. Maybe it's using scripture to justify your sin when in all reality, God's word was meant to call you to be holy. Maybe it's using, using grace as a means to say that God will forgive me and that I have time and small sins aren't a big deal. Self-righteousness always exists just in different forms. It's hard to see in the mirror and hang with me. It's even just harder to admit. Once you even find out that pride or self-righteousness is a problem, because self-righteousness and pride is a deadly sin, it's even harder to admit. Nobody likes to admit that they have a pride problem. <laughs> Nobody likes to admit like, oh yeah, I'm self-righteous. I'll be the first one to claim it. Like, you know, if I did a raise of hands, like who here's prideful? It's like, no one wants to say that you're prideful. No one wants to say that you're self-righteous. And I wish that I could tell you that I don't struggle with pride. And, and, and as a pastor, you know, you're supposed to be like holy and pure. Uh, and, and it was actually funny at this, uh, I had a family reunion. Uh, uh, we got a, a picture on the screen. Uh, it was all 45 of us. Uh, yeah, we're that family that does matching t-shirts. Super cringy, I know. Yeah, we can uh, uh, get past this. Uh, this is my whole family. Just got back from Wisconsin uh, doing all this. And uh, I haven't seen some of them since I was a high school, when I was in high school, as a sophomore in high school. And it's always like the, the thing of like, I remember you when you were yay tall. <laughs> Uh, and I'm like, okay, awesome. What do I say to that? Um, and and uh, they found out that I was a pastor. And so 
Uh, a lot of them are like, don't swear around the minister. <laughs> don't swear around the pastor. Don't swear, like make sure that like, we, we be holy, we say good things. <laughs> it's just this picture that somehow, oh, pastors are just supposed to be more holy than everybody else. <laughs> Pastors don't struggle with, with pride. Pastors are, are human too. People struggle with pride. Everybody on a certain level struggles with pride. The people who can move faster are the ones who admit it. The people who can move beyond it are the ones who admit it. Because pride can hide itself in, in different ways. And at times in life, you can be maybe on one end of the spectrum or the other. You can be overconfident or you can be on the other end of the spectrum. You can be underconfident. Early on, when I got this C12 pastor job, they were like, hey, we really want you to be the pastor for this ministry. And uh, I'll have to tell you, I mean, I was jacked up and I was fired. And at the same time, I was like, I'm going to crap my pants. Like, I'm going to, like, this is terrifying. This is a, this is like a, a this is a big deal in, in inside of, of pride, you get overconfident and underconfident. In overconfidence, you like to imagine what you can do without God and thinking that you can do more than what you actually can. When you're underconfident, you're too insecure and you don't think that God will actually show up. I had to get past the fact that, you know what, pride's a real thing. It's not just pride and insecurity. It's overconfident and underconfident. Why? Because insecurity is just another form of pride because the attention is still about you. The attention is still on what you're not. The attention is on who you're not. The attention is on what you can't do. The attention is on who you're not becoming. And pride has its hidden forms. I had to come to God and say, God, this, this ministry is not mine, it's yours. God, C12 is not mine, it's yours. I'm not worried about how many people show up in a room. It changes how you preach sermons. It's not a matter of, oh, I hope, maybe, maybe they'll receive it. Maybe they'll, they'll like me more because of it. No, we're gonna preach God's word because it's God's word that changes somebody's life, not just a good thought or a good opinion. Pride has its hidden forms. Maybe you work harder in your job because you're overcompensating for who you think you're not. Maybe you're trying harder in what you're doing because you don't feel like you're living up to your parents' expectation. Maybe you bounce back and forth between being underconfident and overconfident and you go back and forth. Maybe in your dating life, you're overconfident and maybe you're not yourself because you're too insecure to think that you'll never be with anybody ever. Pride bounces back and forth between being overconfident and underconfident, overconfident and underconfident. And pride hides itself in different ways. Pride prohibits God's presence. How do you experience God? You have to get over yourself. God can't be in the presence of pride. Look what it says in Proverbs. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, this is the Lord. I hate pride and arrogance. <laughs> I hate pride and arrogance. God can't tolerate pride because he doesn't want more of you. He wants you to have more of him. If you want more of God, you have to get over you. You can't have more of himself if you're so full of yourself. And Peter goes on to instruct us, what, what does humility actually look like? It says this in 1 Peter 5. It says, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, 
God opposes people who are prideful, who are proud, who are self-righteous, who think that they have it all together, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. If anybody were to write this, it'd be Peter. If anybody were to talk about it, the same one who denied Jesus, the same one who betrayed him, the same one who, who, who basically just you know, said, I, Jesus, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be for you, and then one second later, the rooster crows three times, denies him. The same one who denied Jesus is the same one who understood humility. The second thing, let's move on. Give God space. You got to give God space. How many of you in the car uh, at any point and when you're, you're driving on the road and you're trying to find out, like you're going to someone's house, you got, you know, Google Maps open, you got something on the road and you're going somewhere and, and all you see uh, uh, is like you're trying to find wherever you're getting to go to, whether it's a friend's house or whatever, and the music's blurring. What's the thing you do? You always turn the music down, right? <laughs> like it's the thing that doesn't make any sense. You're like, I'm just trying to actually, I'm like, uh, the, the audio doesn't affect me, <laughs> what I'm trying to visually see, but like it makes sense and it doesn't make sense at the same time. But you ever been in car, uh, like a car ride, where, like the music's just blaring all the time, like it's just blasting, and everyone's like yelling at each other, and like you're also you're having a conversation while you're also just listening to blaring loud music. Have you ever, ever anyone ever been in situation like you're like why am I doing this? Why am I screaming at you? You're literally right next to me, and I'm like, what did you do today? And it's like, like it's just like blaring music, and you're like, why? This is giving me a headache. I can't think. <laughs> like the noise is just too loud. I can't even begin to think what I need to actually say. See, a lot of times we can't hear God because our time is filled up with way too much noise. Our time is filled up with way too much noise. We have to give God space. See, everybody's noise is different, but we all have them. It just comes out in different forms. They can be good things. Maybe your loud noise is maybe just hanging out with friends way too much so you actually don't give God space to actually do something or actually carve out time for God and with God. Maybe the FOMO of missing out always drives you to be with other people that you never actually carve time to actually just be with Jesus. Maybe it's dating and you prioritize your relationship with your boyfriend, your girlfriend way more than your relationship with God. Maybe it's in work. You obsess about what you get to do. You obsess about what your job is, that you spend way more time doing your job. You overcompensate that you actually don't carve out any time with God. Maybe it's hobbies. Maybe it's just having that me time. I got to have time just for me. I got to have time to rest. I got to have time where I can just be by myself. The good things can actually get in the way of the best things. And Satan is the master of taking good things and distracting us of the best thing. Satan loves to be a master of distraction. I'll take the good things in life that are actually good for you and I'll distract you of the best thing. Now, there's no set method. Scripture doesn't call you to go, go spend time with Jesus one hour a day, but this is what Jesus does do. In Luke 5, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus gave the Father space. He gave the Father space to speak to him. You have to give God space. He withdrew often to lonely places and prayed. He gave God space to speak to him, to have a relationship with him, to cultivate and hear and understand the voice of the Father. See, our schedules always submit to the urgent most times that we always forget what's important. Like, how do I actually structure my time with God? What does this look like? Well, the first thing, I'm actually gonna throw my email up on the screen. Uh, 
if there's a, there's a book that's called The Hour That Changes the World by Dick Eastman and how, how to cultivate, how to craft your time with God. This is not a, a legalistic thing. This is not a mandate. Uh, this is just something, hey, if you want another resource when it comes to actually knowing what it means to spend time with God, how to experience God, how to actually hear his voice, there's, there's this book that I would be more than glad to buy for you as long as you have the promise that you're going to read it. Come on, we all, we all been in college at some point. You're like, yeah, like I'm gonna read that textbook. Like I read it. Uh, we, <laughs> I know how this works, but I promise you, I think this could be a great tool when it comes to how do I actually experience God? How do I actually draw near to him? Second thing, you gotta find accountability. How do you, how, well, you have to first put it on the calendar. Find something throughout the day. Put it on the calendar. Uh, go ahead. If you want that book, go ahead and email me. I'd love, to, I'd love to buy that for you and give that to you. Second thing is you got to find accountability. Who's the person that actually holds you accountable to make sure it's spending time with God? We always come back to this. Every, almost every conversation that I have with everyone, the one thing it always comes back to is I don't know how to hear God's voice and I don't spend time with God. It's the number one problem every time I have a pastoral meeting. Every time I meet with someone on a Sunday, on a Thursday night, no matter where I'm at, it always boils down to the one thing. How do I spend time with God? You have to have accountability. One person that's going to hold you accountable to it too is it's find that and maybe inside small groups, have someone who can actually hold you accountable. What does it mean to spend time with the presence of God? I know this isn't maybe new information to you, but sometimes we need to relearn the same information because we haven't done anything with it yet. God would never take you to the next level until you get the first level right. A lot of us want to be on level 10 of spirituality when we have never mastered level one. And it's super frustrating because we live the same cycle over and over and over again. I wish I could just learn this dang thing already. We got to master our long time with God. Every yes to something else is just a no to God's presence. Every yes is another no. It's a double-sided transaction. Whatever you say yes to, to not spend time with God is saying no to him. The third thing, let go of shame. How do I experience God? Let go of shame. When you look back, there are things that you're maybe embarrassed of. Then there are things that you're ashamed of. See, there's like embarrassing stories and there's like, I'm ashamed of that. Embarrassing stories, we all have them. When I was in high school, uh, I was uh, at this uh, kind of high school gathering party thing. And uh, I remember at one point, one of my friends did something stupid on the top of the hill. It made me laugh so hard. This is TMI, I know, we're gonna, we're gonna go there. It made me laugh so hard that I actually pooped my pants on the top of the hill. I was wearing sweatpants. <laughs> You can, you can imagine, like, what do you do from there? What do you, like, where do you go? What's step two? Nobody ever prepares you for that in life. So now I'm like walking down the hill. I'm like doing the waddle. People are like, what's your problem? Like, doesn't matter. Stop looking at me. Like, uh, I, go into, I go into the bathroom. Now, here's the, here's the real problem. It's because when now when you poop yourself, no, now there's this girl that I like that was at the place. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I smell like utter dog crap. I hope that this doesn't affect anything that's happening. I go into the bathroom, take care of business. I'm not going to go that route. You don't really want to know. Get out of the bathroom. People are like, why does it smell like flowers? I literally sprayed perfume all over my sweatpants. Flower, like this, like, you know, blossom perfume, like flower things, sprayed it everywhere. And I walked out and people are like, man, you smell good. Like, you know, I'm like, thanks. <laughs> they had no idea what just happened. Never went home, <laughs> never changed. Maybe that's the more embarrassing part of the story. 
Like, why don't you just call your mom? I'm, that's a worse thing. You never want to call your mom uh, as a high schooler. Mom, I pooped myself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> See, that's embarrassing stuff. We all have like the embarrassing story you never want to tell like other people or the embarrassing story like when someone says, hey, what's your most embarrassing moment? There's always the awkward, cringy moments in middle school, high school. Even as I talk about it, you're thinking of something in your head like, oh gosh, yeah. When somebody asks about my embarrassing story, I'll think of that. And then there's the things that you feel ashamed of that like aren't so fun. There's the embarrassing things you can laugh about, you can talk about, sit around a bonfire, share the story. And then there's things that you feel ashamed of. Maybe relationships that we didn't do well. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's sexual sin or covering up huge lies. Maybe it's the way that you treated your own family. Maybe it's personal sin struggles that nobody knows about. There are things that you just feel ashamed of. We all have a past and, and maybe right now your past is still your present. Maybe the things that you wish that you would actually overcome by now, you haven't, and it's brought even more shame. And the shame that's in your past is the shame that's still driving your present. Maybe it's driving the same behavior. And there's a difference between guilt and shame. See, guilt is action-based, shame is identity-based. Guilt believes I did something bad, shame says that I am bad. We feel guilty for what we do, but shame comes on who we are. This is a world-renowned author, talks about this and identifies and defines shame. Like this says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. See, one of the hardest things that sometimes we navigate as followers of Jesus is the shame-based thinking. I know I'm forgiven. I know the truth of what God's done. I know what he's done for me. I know that he's died on the cross. He's wiped away every sin. I know I'm forgiven of that, but we still live in a shame-based thinking. And there's three signs of shame-based thinking. Maybe one for you, it's believing that perfect performance drives out failure. If you just try harder, if you just do more, then it'll actually drive out the failure that existed in your past or the failure that's existing in your present. Maybe it's being overly critical of ourselves that translates to being overly critical of other people. You analyze everything about who you are. You criticize everything that you do. Or maybe it's the third thing, which is a hard one to admit. It's using self-sabotaging thoughts to protect us from future disappointment. You self-deprecate yourself because you never want to be disappointed ever again. Maybe shame is the secret driver of your car. Maybe shame sits in the front seat of your car and you don't know it. Because as long as you're focused on you, you'll never be enough. When you're the attention when the attention's all on you, about you, you'll never be enough. Shame drives what we do. And just because you're out of your past doesn't mean that you're out of your shame. Just because you feel like, well, yeah, that was years ago. Yeah, I did that a long time ago. That was who I was. That's not who I'm not, who I'm not now. But maybe we know that just because you're out of your past doesn't mean that you're out of your shame. Over the past couple of weeks, we got to recap a little bit of the Old Testament. You got to see the nation of Israel as we visited the names of God. And we went over the story of Moses and you look at the whole story of Israel and their cycle of sin and captivity. And we visited the names of God. And the first one was Yahweh or Ehyeh, which means I will be. 
And so you look at God's people, they're in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. 430 years. Imagine just being that old for one second. Like 430 years, they're in captivity. It was their shame. Again, another generation gets born and grows up, and now they're just born a slave. It becomes their identity. They allowed it to become who they are, and they believe this lie day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They believe this shame, all this guilt, all this thing that is on top of them. They believe this over and over and over again, and then God raises up Moses. God raises up Moses to lead the people out of slavery. God comes to Moses in the form of a burning bush and reveals himself as Yahweh and, and, and reveals himself as who the one true God is. And then God, God uses Moses to, 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 to drive people out of slavery. And then Israel wanders for another 40 years. And they don't make it to the promised land through Moses. So not only just they're in captivity for 430 years, they're also now wandering for another 40 years. You can imagine the shame on the whole nation of Israel. We can't ever get this right. Like we make the same dumb mistakes over and over and over again. We've been doing this for 430 years. And then as soon as you get out of Egypt, as soon as they got out of their slavery, they still wandered for another 40 years. And before they get into the promised land, God raised up Joshua to lead them into the promised land. See, outwardly they were free, but inwardly they were still living in shame. They were not, they were out of slavery, but they were not out of shame. It was 430 years of shame. And this is what God says to Joshua in Joshua 5. We, we unpacked the story of Joshua at the beginning and how they overcame a couple weeks ago and stepped into the promised land. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. God rolled away their shame before they ever saw their promise. God did something in them before they ever saw something around them. See, the key to unlock more of the promise ahead of you is letting go of the shame behind you. The key to unlocking more of the promise ahead of you is letting go of the shame behind you. Look at what it says. It's not just the Old Testament. It's also in the New Testament. You look at what Jesus came to do and how he scorned shame. It's in Hebrews 12 too. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus came not just to forgive you of your sin, but to say away with the shame that comes along with it. That he scorned its shame. So you're not what you did. You're not your addiction. You're not your past. You're not the result of some failure. You're not unworthy or unwanted or insignificant or un unlovable. When God rolled away the stone, he rolled away your shame. When God rolled away the stone, he rolled away your shame. And the only way to experience more of God is to move from your focus on who you're not to what Christ has done. Don't focus on who you're not. Don't focus on what you haven't done. Don't focus on what your past once was. But when you look at what Jesus did on the cross, he didn't just forgive you. He scorned its shame that came along with it. That there's no longer shame. There's no longer condemnation. There's no longer bondage that I get to live in the freedom that Jesus gets to offer. And that is the good news. That is the good news that we get to have. We don't need to live in shame. Let go of shame. How do you experience God? Let go of shame. Jesus already fought the battle that your shame still tries to conquer. He already fought it for you. The fourth thing, live how you pray. We're gonna move on in these last two points. Fourth thing, live how you pray. This is what it says in 1 Peter 2. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. What I mean by live how you pray is to get past hypocrisy. 
Live how you pray. See, what Peter is getting at is not just what you pray in maybe your prayer closet, what you pray in your car, what you pray when you get to church. What he's talking about is your lifestyle. He's talking about the way you live. Is the way you pray equal to how you live your life? Does God equally have as much of you inside the prayer closet just as much as he has of you outside the prayer closet? Is the way you worship on Thursday just as an equal desire when you're at work? And I don't mean just worship through music. I mean worship through how you love God and and love others. How do you act at work or on campus? Is the way you treat others a representation of how you pray? Or is how you pray different than how you love others? If not, we're just confusing the world and no wonder why anybody would wanna be a part of the church if we just look like the rest of the world. The church doesn't need another church that looks like everybody else. The church needs the church to be an all-consuming fire because that's who God is. He is an all-consuming fire and his church represents him as an all-consuming fire. So we represent God or we don't. We're for him or against him. We're on his side or not on his side. When you live how you pray, you don't separate the form from the fragrance. What do we mean by the form? The form is the method of prayer. It's the phrases. It's what we say. It's our set time with God. It's the structure. It's the fundamentals. How many played sports growing up? You were in swimming, basketball, baseball. And how many, at one point in time, you didn't really, you didn't love the sport as much as you used to. Like it came across and you're like, ah, I don't love it as much as I used to love it. Maybe it's from a coach. Maybe it's the way that they made the sport. Maybe it's because of politics and how they, how they structure the team or who they invited onto the team or how they treated you versus other players. Maybe it, it, it was something about favoritism. See, a lot of us growing up, we, when you play sports, you get into a, a hobby, you just you practice the fundamentals of it. Like I, I got to practice my form. I got to practice the fundamentals of the sport. And then over time, when you stop, start, you stop falling in love with the sport, you just, you know the fundamentals and you know the form, but you lost your desire. You lost your desire to play. For whatever reason, you've lost your desire to play. And this can happen more often than not. If we're not careful, we can walk around with the form of being a Christian without the fragrance of heaven. We can walk around with the form of being a Christian. I know the fundamentals. I know how to pray. I know what it means to come to church. I know what to do. I I know those things. But when the desire goes out, all you're left with is the form and the rituals and the fragrance of heaven is not in you. The fragrance of heaven, it's God's presence. It's his fresh life. It's it's, it's the new things that God is doing. It's God's voice. It's his favor and anointing. It's the the coating and covering of of the Holy Spirit. And we will have much to offer others when we allow ourselves for God to offer much of him. The last thing, I'm gonna end on this, is ask God for more. How do you experience God? Ask God for more. It's the hardest thing to do. When you know that you've experienced God, you can get really complacent and really content really fast. Thinking, I've had enough as maybe as much as I want. I kind of like where I'm at in life. I kind of like where I'm just kind of coasting. I like where I'm, I'm, I'm positioned. But at C12, you've been around this ministry, you volunteer here, maybe you're new, maybe you're just kind of a, you attend C12. You know that like, we don't, we don't stop moving forward. We're, we're always moving forward. We can't wait for the next life change. We can't wait for the next salvation story. We can't wait for the next baptism story. 
In fact, we got more baptisms that are gonna be happening literally next week. And so here's, what, here's what's happening. When we're talking about ask God for more, we're not gonna talk about it. We're gonna practically engage with it. So next week, we're having a worship and community night. So we actually get to engage in God's presence. Y'all can clap for that. Come on, we, we, can, we, can, we can come celebrate and engage in God's presence. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna continue to celebrate and worship God and engage in his presence. We're gonna celebrate the life change that God is doing inside C12. And we got more people that are gonna be getting baptized and we're gonna come together the whole night. We're gonna play games, eat food, celebrate. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask God for more. We're gonna ask God for more. And as followers of Jesus, we live in a world of celebration of what God did and the anticipation of what's yet to come. We always live in this twofold world. I celebrate and I thank God for what he did. And then I go and I anticipate and I ask God for more. I celebrate and I anticipate. I celebrate and I anticipate. This is what it says in Isaiah. It says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea. It's talking about what he did for, for Israel, how he parted the sea, path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and the reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Boom, done, I did all that. I, I, I'm God, I'm the one that did all that. Forget the former things. Forget that I even did that, <laughs> honestly. Forget that, like, yeah, that was awesome, that was amazing. But you know what? Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Don't dwell on what I did, but see that I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God wants to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. God is inviting you into more. God wants you to pray for more. God wants you to ask for more. God has more for your life. He has more of a purpose that is yet to be unfolded. You're not who you are. You are who Christ says that you are. And you get to step into the more that God has for you. God has way more for you than you could ever imagine. So forget the former things. Don't even dwell on the past. Forget what happened. Yay, God, I'm glad you did that. But you know what? What am I excited for? I'm excited for the next. I'm excited for what's yet to come. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of green grass for C12 that's ahead of this future. You believe that? There's a lot of green grass that's ahead of you. There's a lot of green grass that's ahead of this ministry. And if how you experience God and how you engage with that is you gotta ask for more. Here's a question that's worth reflecting on. What new things does God want to do in you? What are the things that God wants to do in you? Where does God want you to ask for more? Maybe you stopped praying for God to reveal the calling on your life and you haven't done that in a while. Maybe you stopped praying for a future spouse for you. Maybe you stopped praying that God would unveil what his plan for your life is. Maybe you stopped praying for salvation and your family, and you got people who you know that don't know Jesus, maybe you stop praying for healing because you haven't seen God do it yet. You, you stop praying for the more because you self-sabotage to protect your future disappointment. And maybe God tonight wants to say to you, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past, forget what I did. It's great. I'm God, I'll do it again. I've done it before and I'll do it again. See that I'm doing a new thing. I wanna pray for you and I want you to stand. I want you to ask God for more. I want you to intangibly gauge in this prayer time and I want you to maybe hold out your hands and ask God for more. Whatever it does, it gets you in a posture of prayer. Maybe it's you lifting your hands up. Maybe it's you being on your knees. Maybe it's you going to the back of the room that you find in space where you just get to have a private moment with God. Where is God asking for more? 
Where does God want more of you? Where does is, where is God want to move more in your life? And so God, we just come before you, God, we ask for more. God, we always want more of you. God, this is why we gather on Thursday nights. God, I could beat the same drum again and again and again about wanting more of you, God, because we can never have enough. We can never be content in your presence. God, we can never just get complacent in saying, you know what, what I have is enough because God, you are more than enough. And God, what we pray, you always exceed our expectations. And so God, I just pray specifically, God, over this room, God, I pray for people, God, who are maybe struggling to find the more and God, maybe find the next for them. God, I pray for people, God, who are maybe trying to understand the, the, the plan and the purpose of your life. And God, I pray that tonight, God, that maybe would they just have a, an encounter with you God, we want you here. God, there's so much green grass ahead. Not just for this ministry, but God, for people personally. God, I believe you want to use this ministry specifically to have future impact in Gwinnett County. So God, may our prayers, God, really transcend to heaven and God, may you come and God, may your will be done. And God, we know your promises never fail. God, we know your promises are true. And so God, we stand on that. And God, we lift up your name. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. To stay connected with C12, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12 stuff. One of the best ways to get connected with others and grow in your relationship with God is jumping into a small group. To sign up for small groups, go to 12stone.com slash small groups and search college. We hope to see you next week.